Journey, I am really excited to introduce our speaker to you today. Around our church, we are committed to doing everything we can to develop the younger generation of church leaders. One leader we are excited to invest in is our student ministry pastor, Mark Archia. He has been serving the students of our church for over three years now, and Mark is currently working on his master's degree at Portland Seminary. As the father of students, I am thankful for Mark's leadership, his passion, and his genuine love for Jesus and his love for people. Let's give a warm Journey Church welcome to my good friend, Mark Archia. Hey, thanks guys. Um, my name is Mark. You guys all know that now, so thanks Bob for that awesome introduction. Uh, I said this at the nine, and I just felt like I should probably say it again, that that song earlier is the third song we sang, Wonder. And there's two lines in there. One is that we would see the world uh, through grace, and then we would see the world uh, through the gospel. And ju just a forewarning, that is completely what the sermon's about. <laughs> um, that, is, that is everything the sermon's about. Um, and the other thing I said at the nine is whether I know you or not, whether you're family to me or not, or whether you're an old friend of mine or a new friend, like it's just so good to walk around as the service is starting and as we're singing and worshiping and to see like you. Uh, and I mean that. And uh, at the nine, I was reminded and God did it again at the 11. Like I get to see God through you in you. And so thanks. I mean it. Um, next thing. How are you? <laughs> how are you? You're good? Good. Uh, how was your Thanksgiving? Good. Um, yeah, I see you, bud. Thanks. Um, I don't know if my Thanksgiving was as awesome as his, uh, but it, it was really great. I actually, uh, my wife, Devin, and I, we went to Billings. That's where I went to high school. And we spent our Thanksgiving with my mom and my dad. And my dad brought a family friend. And then my older sister and her husband were there. And so it was just like us. Like, that's almost our whole family. We're, we're like there. Uh, and it was great. Like, uh, the food was awesome. We played games. We watched some football. Like, we, we stayed up super late playing this game called Poop Smoothie. Don't even worry about it. Um, and it, it was just really, it was really good. And, and I don't know about your family, but our family, it, things get really great as we start to, like, settle into our roles. You know, like, I, I'm the baby of the family. I'm the young baby brother, the youngest. And so I, I'm checking in on mom. I'm checking in on dad and checking Devin, my wife, and my, my, the friends and the family. And once everybody kind of settles in their role is when the party really gets started, right? Um, and so I, I imagine in a room this big with this many people, uh, the reality is that not everybody's Thanksgiving went perfectly, right? And, and so I do just want to take a second and say, whatever your Thanksgiving uh, was like, whether the, the, the stress or the brokenness from, well, stress from the food preparation or e even the bigger things like the stress uh, and the brokenness from being back with family, it kind of reminds us of the brokenness in our families, right? Or, or the people that we love that we miss because they're not there. And I just want to say like, Wherever you're at, however your Thanksgiving was, regardless of how it went, like, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad that we're together. Um, I mean that, too. So anyway, I'm Mark. I'm your student ministries pastor, and uh, today's sermon is called Tablet to Table. Tablet to Table. You know, tablets like electronic devices, iPhones, cell phones, Androids, table being the table. And little did you know, but when you walked into the door, you've already been invited to the table, You've already been invited to the table. And my goal this morning is to simply invite you again. And my goal is to invite you to the table again. And again, if you don't know, like you've already been invited. In fact, you've always been invited to the table. And I, and I get the really cool honor of being the little brother and serving the food at the meal at the table. And so yes, like this is our metaphor for the day, the table, the Lord's table. 
But what we'll see is that it's not just a metaphor that we're gonna think about today. It's something that we'll engage with and we'll experience together and I can't wait for that. And I don't know exactly what your like table manners are when you're with your family or friends or you're at Taco Bell or you're at a fancy place downtown. But when you're with the Archias, uh, with my wife, Devin and I, we, we try to be like super intentional face to face, right? Like never have any phones around and never Mark is scrolling through Twitter trying to read news or trying to check his email to feel important or Instagram. Um, it's a joke. Uh, I'm really bad at that. But my wife, Devin, and some other friends and even some other family of mine, they're they're really great at at wanting to be intentional. And part of the table manners is putting our phones away, putting our tablets away, like getting rid of the distractions, right? So that we can really see each other. So today, I thought I would practice. I thought I'd practice and put my iPhone X down for our time together as we sit at the table together. Um, I know that thing like can scan my face, whatever. It's super cool. (laughs) Anyway, setting our distractions aside, so that we can have some time together. And so here we are, we're, we're gathered, right? And, and we're around the table. So like, now what do we do? Well, we eat, we're at the table. And, and our goal this morning isn't to nail down, it's not to fix everything, it's not to magically explain all problems away. And our goal isn't to objectify the bread of life at the table. Our goal is to eat. Our goal is to eat the bread of life piping hot as it comes out of the oven, the fresh bread. So since we're ready to eat, let's look at what this meal is all about. And because it's the Lord's table, not mine, not anyone else's, perhaps he would have a word for you and me. But in the following instructions, I cannot praise you. For it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church, and to some extent, I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you for you to recognize who has God's approval. When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry and others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this is the new cup of the covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death again until he comes. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So, my dear brothers and dear sisters, When you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait 
for each other. If you are really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring God's judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. I'll give you instructions about other matters after I arrive. Let's pray. God, we take a moment, we pause, and we remember who you are and that you're good. God, we ask that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done just like it is in heaven here on earth. God, we ask that you would give us our daily bread and you would forgive us as we forgive those around us. God, and in this time that we gather, uh, some of us knew, some of us have been here, that we would actually begin to be a family, that we would care about one another because you care about us. And so as we show up to the table, bringing all the crap that we have with us, God, would you speak to us? We love you and we thank you that you loved us first. Amen. Okay, so I don't know about you, but that was like kind of random, right? <laughs> like we, we just jumped right into 1 Corinthians 11 and it just like jumped in out of context. And so I wanna give us a little bit of background so we can understand what's going on here. And so we kind of maybe know Paul. Paul's this guy and he had this radical encounter with Jesus and it changed his life. And so he started to go around to different regions sharing this great news, this good news, this gospel about Jesus coming back to life. And he goes to the city of Corinth, this port city with different ships everywhere. The economy's booming. So there's a bunch of different people there, poor people, rich people, people of different colors. And he starts to share this news. And some of the people are crazy enough to believe him. They believe him. And so every week they start to gather and they gather on Sunday because that's when they remember that Jesus came back to life. And they devote themselves to prayer. They devote themselves to the apostles' teachings and they meet every week and they gather in homes and they eat a meal. And they become this church in Corinth, this community of people. And Paul leaves to a different region to share this good news with other people. But he starts to hear whispers. He starts to hear of how this community, these people are really doing. And what he hears is not good. What he hears is there's divisions in these people. There's divisions and it's actually tearing them apart. So he writes this letter, 1 Corinthians. And in this letter, he, he addresses each division really specifically. He defines the problem really clearly. From food to sex to their, to their weekly worship gathering, he's de he defines the problem. He always reminds them of the gospel, the good news as he addresses each of these divisions. And he reminds them that the gospel influences and affects every part of our lives. And so this morning, we're gonna look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 17. It'll be on the screens if you wanna turn there. And we're gonna look at a specific division that Paul is gonna speak out against in the Corinthians weekly worship gathering on Sunday. So we read in verse 17, but in the following instructions, I cannot praise you. For it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. Like, whew, starting off on a good note, right? Like, yeah. First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. And to some extent, I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. Like, whoa, we're two verses into this chapter. And Paul is already like very clear and kind of harsh with this. He says, there's more harm done than good when you meet together. This division is serious. And then in verse 19, he gets a little sarcastic. He's Paul, right? None of us use sarcasm, of course. And he says, of course, you love to separate yourselves to know who's God's favorite. Come on, come on. He goes on. 
He says, when you meet together in verse 20, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. And as a result, some go hungry and some people are getting drunk. What? What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking, Paul says? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and time out? When we hear the word church in the New Testament, is it ever talking or is a writer ever talking about a building? No. He's talking about a community of people, right? He's talking about people. And so we read, do you really want to disgrace God's people and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? He gets this like, like teacher in What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? I'm certainly not gonna praise you. And so this is starting to take form, right? We can maybe start to see a picture of this, but if this is a phone conversation, we're only hearing like one end of, of, the, of, the, con, of the conversation. We still need to, like what's really going on in Corinth? And so we start to ask ourselves, okay, like why is Paul upset? Why is Paul so upset? He's upset at the way the Corinthians are engaging with the cup and the bread, the Lord's Supper, And it's probably important for us to just like say the differences between these early Christians and then us here right now. Because we gather on Sunday, much like they did, and we come to this building, and then after the sermon or so, maybe once a week, maybe once a month, like these elements will be there. The bread, maybe they're crackers, maybe it's wine, maybe it's juice, and we'll remember the Lord's Supper. But first off, like these early Christians, they didn't have church buildings, And so what would happen would, in any given community, the wealthy would offer up their homes. The wealthiest Corinthian would offer up their homes and 10 to 50 people would gather there. And they would gather there to worship God and remember the Lord's resurrection, right? And it's in this gathering that they would share a meal, an actual dinner meal, a feast. They would have a dinner meal every Sunday. And so the Lord's Supper then is paired with an actual meal for these early Christians. And what we see in Paul's letter is there's something about this meal that they're doing wrong. They're completely missing the point, Paul says. You've botched the meaning of the Lord's Supper. You're doing it wrong. Right, Paul says that they're not actually sharing the meal. And so as a result, what? Some people are going hungry and then some are getting drunk and now it's like, well, what the heck is going on at the meal then? This is their, their weekly worship gathering. What's going on at this meal? And we actually have a really good idea. There's, there's hints sprinkled in this text. But then if you Google stuff, you can find an archaeologist who has dug up like actual remains of what these wealthy Corinthian homes would have looked like. And remember, this is only like a certain portion of that community, a certain portion of Corinth would have a house that's like, like this, if I could show you the picture. And we can find the blueprints almost. And we can locate the room where they would have eaten dinner. It's called the triclinium much like I imagine where we would have eaten our Thanksgiving dinner, right? The triclinium. And 10 to 13 people could sit there. And so it's Sunday. And we also have to remember in this crazy context that we think of Sunday as the last day of the week. We're getting ready for work tomorrow, right? Because we have Saturday and Sunday off. We do have to realize that a Sunday off is like a Christian thing. So pre-Christianity, they work every day. Except for the wealthy Corinthian Christians, why? Because they're wealthy. They don't have to work the full day. And so this, these wealthy people, they would gather at this home for their, work, for their weekly worship gathering and they would sit in this dining room, the triclinium, and they would start the meal early. Meanwhile, 
All the poor people, as Paul calls them in verse 22, are out working. And it's the end of the day, it's the end of the work day and they come to this house, right? Because they're excited to worship God together with these people that they know and they love. And what do they find when they get there? Well, first of all, they enter into the dining room, the triclinium, and there's nowhere for them to sit. And so they move to the next room out and it's the atrium and there's not even seating for them. And then so that they can't sit down and then they, what about the meal? And there's not even enough food for everybody to eat. And these people that they're gonna worship with, some of them are already drunk. And Paul says, this is how you celebrate the Lord's Supper? This is not the Lord's Supper, Paul says. Paul says, you're humiliating and shaming the poor Christ followers in your community. And he goes on to remind them of the real meaning of this meal. So in verse 23, he says, and this is the best part, because here Paul's connecting back to Jesus and Jesus' teaching. He says, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which I give to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And what's Paul doing? Paul's reminding them of the real meaning, right? He's reminding them of the story when we see the cup and the bread. He's reminding them of the story of Jesus with his followers at their last meal. And what's, why is this meal so important? What's the big deal with this meal? Well, this is the meal where Jesus tells his followers, he explains to them the meaning of his death. And does he give them a, a theology lecture? Does he, does he exegete words and go to the Greek and the Hebrew? Does he do all that to explain the meaning of his death? No. Does he give them a three-point sermon, three sermon outline? No. He gives them a meal, the Jewish Passover meal to his followers to explain his death. And it's this meal that would speak of an enslaved and broken Israelite people. They're, they're enslaved and they're broken and they're oppressed by the Egyptian people. And it's at this meal that they would sacrifice a lamb and they would take the blood of that lamb and they would put it on the doorpost of their homes. And that blood would literally be poured out and act as a sacrifice as God's justice would visit the Egyptian oppressors and it would spare the Israelites. It, it's a story about hope. As God would bring the Israelite people out of slavery and into new life, into freedom. And so what is Jesus doing in this story as we remember it? It's radical, it's crazy, and it's so intentional. Jesus is saying, I will be the Passover lamb. I will spill my blood so that others can go free. It reminds us, this story reminds us of Jesus coming to a broken humanity, a broken world, and offering hope. And Paul's saying, you've, you've taken this beautiful story of Jesus coming to those who need help, of coming to those who are broken, and you've made it a meal where you're not even looking at each other and you're getting drunk. You've made it into this social gathering. That's how you celebrate the Lord's Supper? 
You've, you've taken this beautiful story of grace that ought to unite you. Because rich or poor, grace does not show favoritism, amen? Amen. And instead, there's divisions in the church. And there are those Christ followers who are humiliating and shaming the poor. We're all equal on level ground at the cross. And Paul's ticked. Paul is ticked. He goes on in 27. He says, so anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have died. Whoa, holy cow, holy cow. We keep reading. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So, Paul says, my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. If you are really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. I'll give you instructions about the other matters when I arrive. Whoa, we all caught that. It's in, it's in every Bible. What do we do with that? Drinking or eating judgment upon ourselves? Getting sick or even dying because of this meal, because of this cup and this bread? And I wanna stop for a second and I think we have to address this misconception because I think so many of us Christians can deeply misunderstand this. And it's important to address because if we deeply misunderstand this, we can deeply distort the cup and the bread and what it's all about. And so what is Paul talking about? Paul is not talking about our, our moral failure or our moral status with God. He's not talking about our moral status as we come to the bread or we come to the cup. Like we think as we, we think about communion, we think about coming to the table, the bread and the cup. We often what? We often reflect about the, the, the messed up stuff we've done. We think about our, our own brokenness. We think about that lame thing we did this morning on the way to church, that fight we got into, that thing we said, that thing we did five years ago, 10 years ago. And then we think, ah, I don't know if I should take the cup and the bread today. I, I, ought, ought I examine myself like Paul says, right? Which means I sit in my chair and I think about that lame stuff. I think about my mistakes that I've made and then I beat myself up for them. And maybe if I do that, then, then, then maybe I can come to the cup and the bread and then maybe God will show grace. That is not what Paul is talking about. Who, who is Paul talking to? The Corinthians. Does he say... So if anyone eats, or eats this bread or drinks this cup who is unworthy, then he or she eats and drinks judgment on themselves. No. Well, what does he say? He says, if anyone who eats or drinks this cup unworthily, or, or another way, in an unworthy manner, he or she eats and drinks judgment upon themselves. So, so what is Paul referring to? He, he's referring to the Corinthians as they engage with the Lord's Supper. Paul is specifically talking to and challenging the rich Corinthian leaders. He's saying, you're celebrating the Lord's Supper, but in the name of Jesus, you are humiliating, systematically shaming the poor Christ followers in your community. And that is an unworthy manner to engage with the Lord's Supper. 
Paul's not talking about our moral status with God. Because of that, what, like, who of us is worthy of the cup and the bread? Who of us has done something, has convinced God that God ought to be so good and so gracious to us? None of us. That's the point. That's the point of the meal. Is because although none of us deserve it, God would still speak a word of grace to us, to all of us. That's the point. Paul is challenging the rich leaders who are shaming the poor. God will not take kindly to his people shaming the poor. Why? Because that is the opposite of who God is and what his kingdom is about. C.S. Lewis gives this great parable. It's, it's a parable about a man and he's walking with God and he looks to God and he says, God, I wanna know what it's like to be in your kingdom. What's your kingdom like? And he says, God, I also wanna know what it's like to not be in your kingdom. What's your kingdom not like? And God says, okay. And he takes him to this door and as he opens this door, right when it cracks, his stomach starts to gurgle and growl because he's so hungry and he smells this delicious meal. He opens the door all the way and there's this table set. And in the middle of this table, there's this giant pot and it's filled with this delicious soup that's almost making this, man, this man's mouth water. And as he looks at the people at the table, they have these long, long, long spoons attached to their arms, just long enough to scoop to the middle of the table. But the man gets sad immediately and almost wants to leave the room because of what he sees when he sees the people. The people look so sick and thin as they're dying, their ribs showing. Because as they reach into the middle of the pot to the soup, they can't feed themselves, the spoon's too long. And they leave the room. And then God opens up another door. And immediately, that same sensation in his stomach. And he opens the door and it's the same picture, it's the same scene. The pot in the middle of this delicious soup. Except this time, as C.S. Lewis says, the, the, the people around the table are plump, satisfied, full, filled. And, and the man's confused and they step out and, and the man looks at God and says, I, I don't understand. And God says, in my kingdom, we've learned to feed each other. As if to infer that they would reach to the soup and not feed themselves, but reach across the table to feed each other. And although Paul in this letter is serious and he's ticked off, it seems to me that Paul is taking this so serious because he wants something more for the community, for the church in Corinth. It seems to me that Paul is inviting the church of Corinth into something that gives more life that's more beautiful. Paul is inviting them to feed each other, not just themselves. Literally. <laughs> and so just as we can't separate our, our love for God from our love from people, those aren't two separate commands. We can't separate eating with God at the table from feeding our neighbor. This meal is about grace. This meal is about Jew or Gentile or Roman or Greek or woman or man or child, rich or poor, that Jesus comes to them. He comes to the broken humans. He comes to broken humanity and the broken world and speaks a word of grace. 
and he meets us in our brokenness. Who of us isn't worthy? That's the point. And I think we can tend to think of these things in terms of religion, right? Which is a fancy way of saying, we tend to think the cup and we think of God and we think of maybe getting grace from God and we think, what can I do to clean up my behavior? We think if I'm sorry enough, God will offer grace. That puts our behavior at the center and the table is the opposite. The table would always put God's behavior at the center as we think about the sacrifice, as we think about God. It is gospel-centric that we would see the world through the gospel, through grace. The table reminds us of God's grace. Why does God give us grace? Because it's God, and because he is good, and because he loves us. And so as we, as we think about all of this, I can't help but wonder, like, what would life look like? What would this room look like? What would Bozeman, Montana, Belgrade, Montana look like if we actually understood the meaning of this meal? What about our high schools? What about our middle schools? What about MSU? What would it look like if we understood the meaning of this meal? As we ate the meal, if we let it change us. What would it look like if we received grace from the table? What would that grace do in us? How would it move us? What if we received grace and put our cell phones down and actually saw each other's needs? What if we received grace and it changed us enough to actually hear and care about each other's needs and meet them? I wonder if it might look a little bit like this video. Ooh. 
So what did you notice? Isn't it impossible to watch that and not smile with the old guy and the young girl? You're like, yes, everyone's there. So we watch that and we think, man, those people are crazy in the elevators and at the front desk, they're just looking at their phones all the time. Yeah, it is crazy, huh? And technology is just a picture because there's so many things that would distract us from actually seeing each other. The people in this room, us, the people in our neighborhoods, our roommates. And it took one woman who finally just said enough, drops her purse. And she's like, we gotta eat together. Actually eat together. No one gets left out. There's food for everyone. And and, and like, it, it just stirs in me this like thought, like what would it be like if we actually believed this table, our tables at home were big enough for everyone, everyone. People who look differently than us, people who talk differently than us, rich, poor, all of us. Grace does not show favoritism. And in the ending, you ask the question, who's the one who got it the most? And it's the little girl. She totally understood what the meal was about. And there was something so awesome about the meal that she's like, I gotta make sure everybody's here. And she remembers that there's one guy who's not there. And maybe he's the guy that not a lot of the neighbors in the hallway know. Little girl doesn't care. And isn't that true of grace? As we come to the table, as we remember the Israelites who are broken in our own brokenness and God would speak of a new exodus, a new freedom for us today, when we experience that grace, does it not change us so that other people can experience that grace because it's so good? And if you're like me, you like watch a sad YouTube video and it just like gets you going, right? But, but I do have friends who, the way they think, they're like, Mark, like that's great, that can move something in me, but I gotta know, like, what do I do when I leave the doors? And first, let me say this. I and no one else maybe actually might actually be able to answer that question for you. It might be something only you can answer or that you can answer in talking with God. But if you keep pressing me, then I would say, okay, if you really, really wanna be a part of a spiritual family, well, have you checked out a missional community? Right, and I know what some of you guys are thinking. We talk about missional communities on stage or an LTG on stage, like a group gathering with a Bible study, right? And I just gotta tell you this side story. I didn't put this in here. Some guys invited me to like this Bible study LTG thing. And I show up and it's so good. And I'm like, I don't, I don't care if it's at six in the morning. I wanna go to that because it was so good for me just to read the Bible with people and talk about what does this mean in my relationship with God, my relationship with our church family and in the broken world. And I, I'm, the, I'm the pastor guy, I didn't start it, but I went and I loved it. And so if you wanna be a part of a spiritual family, like why don't you check out these groups, about 10 to 50 people who gather in homes and what do they do? They care about the apostles' teachings. They maybe eat a meal together, they pray, They engage with God, they engage with each other and each other's needs, and they engage with this broken world. Like that's what Paul is pushing this church in in Corinth to, just like he would us, right? And so today, this morning, as we come to a close, we will actually respond by coming to the table together as a church family. 
And we're gonna do communion a little differently this morning. We will, of course, remember, we do remember Jesus taking the bread, breaking the bread, and saying, this is my body, broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And we, re- we remember Jesus with his followers in that last meal. And as he pours the wine, he says, this is my blood poured out for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. We remember this beautiful story. We remember who God is. And we'll still dip the bread into the juice. But in order to highlight the weight of doing this together, the weight of each other, we're gonna receive communion from each other. And so I have some friends who are gonna come up to the table. And as they do, before we we come to the table, before you would take whatever baggage and, and whatever slave stuff that you're carrying around, whatever would be enslaving you, I want us to remember that the table speaks grace to us. And so as you come to the table and you receive grace, I encourage you, make eye contact with my friends, with your friends, our friends up here. See them, see God in them. See their needs as they see yours. I invite you to see God in the other person. And this is my last invitation. You didn't know you were gonna be so popular today. I invite you to pray this prayer as you come to the table today. Lord, help me sacrifice myself and pour myself out for others just like Jesus did for others. Why? Because the bread and the cup speak grace. And no matter where you're at right now in life and no matter how you might be hurting or whatever you might be carrying, and especially if you're carrying something that says, maybe I shouldn't go to the front and maybe I shouldn't go to the table. If that's you, then that's exactly why you should come to the table because it's at the table where God will remind you that he gives you grace. And when we receive grace, do we receive grace to stay broken and messed up? No. Grace changes us. Grace does not hinge or depend on our ability to change. Grace just meets us in our brokenness. But just like that little girl, grace is so good that you want others to have it too. And so we pray, Lord, help us sacrifice ourselves and pour ourselves out for others just like Jesus did for others. There's a gluten-free bread at the very end if you're gluten-free. And as you come, again, make eye contact with these awesome friends, our friends. Stay on the right side as you're coming up. Maybe go down the left helps our giant family out. Let me pray for us real quick. God, we, we just take a moment and we remember who you are. We remember the beauty of the story as you pour yourself out for us and you give us grace. We remember that you call all of us sons and daughters and you call us to a broken world who is in need of grace, just like we are in need of grace. God, would we see each other's needs just like you see ours? We love you and we thank you that you love us.
Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.